Tonight here at Ground Zero Ministries, we're going to continue going through the, the teachings of the Bible. Um, tonight's lesson is on the book of Titus. Uh, Titus was a Greek follower of Jesus and for years was a trusted co-laborer with Paul, who spent many years traveling with him to many of the other churches that you may read about as you go through the New Testament. Um, Paul started, you know, all these different churches all throughout, you know, Asia Minor and up into Greece and into Rome, you know, even traveled into Spain, you know, and as you look and follow the, the life and the journey of Paul, there was many different people that that walked with him, you know, as we, we talked about Timothy last week, you know, and tonight we're going to talk a little bit about the book of Titus and, and how Titus had a role in uh, continuing to bring forth the gospel. You know, Paul had a number of crisis situations in the past as he was, you know, all over the place trying to plant churches and sending letters and, and that, you know, there was all these new Christians that were, you know, being in charge of these types of churches. You know, and Titus was one of the trusted members that co-labored with Paul that would go into some of these churches and try to bring some order and bring forth uh, correction if necessary. You know, but Paul is assigning him this task of going into Crete. Crete was a large island off the coast of Greece to try to restore order because things were starting to get out of control in the network network of churches that were in Crete. You know, the Cretan culture was notorious in the ancient world. You know, and one of the Greek words, you know, to be a Cretan or Cretzo, it meant, you know, to be a liar. You know, so if you were known as a Cretan, you know, that you were not to be trusted. You know, that they were notorious for their treachery, their greed. You know, and most of the men in the island were mercenaries or soldiers that were for hire to the highest bidder. You know, in these islands and these cities were known for being unsafe. They were plagued with violence and sexual corruption. It's probably where most of us would have been hanging out. However, this island of Crete had many strategic harbors, you know, and they serviced many cities all over the ancient Mediterranean Sea. So from Paul's point of view, he saw Crete as the perfect place to start a network of churches, a perfect place for people that didn't know Jesus. And when we don't know all the details of some of how these churches, you know, came under the influence of corrupt Cretan leaders, but they said that, uh, they were Christians, but they were ruining the churches by the way that they were teaching and the way that they were running, you know, and controlling the people. So Paul assigned Titus to the task going into, you know, and set things straight by using his message as an apostle, you know, of bringing hope of, in eternal life. The life of this new creation, which is available now through the Messiah Jesus. And this hope was promised long ago by a God who does not lie. You know, so Paul was sending Titus in to, to bring a contradiction to what they knew about God, about Christianity, about the other gods that were in that area. You know, that one of the problems with the Cretan churches is they assimilated to the ideas about Jesus. You know, and this Christian God. And then to their ideals, ideals about the Greek gods that they grew up with, specifically Zeus. You know, that he was their chief god. That Cretan people also claimed that Zeus was actually born on their island. And they loved to tell stories and the mythologies about Zeus and his underhanded character. He would seduce women and lie to get his way. And Paul wanted it to be really clear that God revealed through Jesus Christ is a totally different God than Zeus. His basic character traits are faithfulness and truth which means that the Christian way of life, of doing things, is, is about truth, also which to be this real change for the Cretans. So Paul then addresses Titus with a twofold task. The first is to point new, appoint new leaders in the church community and a team of what she called elders, mature husbands and fathers, you know, whose ways of life were, were totally different than the Cretan culture. They are to be known for their integrity and total devotion to Jesus, for their self-control and generosity, both 
in their families and in the community at large. That these new leaders are to teach the good news about Jesus and replace these corrupt leaders that need to be confronted. That Titus' second task was confronting these leaders. And as we've confronted people in our own lives, it's so much fun. Because these corrupt leaders, you know, mask themselves as Christians. And in these churches now, that the influence that they've given our homes and personal lives of the the members of those churches that are completely a wreck. So the result of them stating to be Christians but living a life contrary to the lifestyle of Christianity, that they didn't live by God's word, you know, and they were really deceitful people, and, you know, that when we don't live according to the word or don't live up to Christian standards in our culture, that God or Jesus is discredited. You know, I think one of the most convicting things that I've ever heard, you know, but yet has to be taken through the lens of our own Christianity is a person that's not a believer that says, aren't you a Christian? You know, and, you know, they're really convicting and pointing to an area of our lifestyle. Now, a lot of times people, you know, that try to use that as a statement is because they're trying to get over on us or try to control us, you know, and because we speak truth or don't get rolled over by what they're doing, then they say, aren't you a Christian? You know, and I've had people, you know, try to make that statement to me, but I think this, you know, we live in the truth that we can set boundaries and and that we don't have to be manipulated by people. You know, there's... It's important that we know the difference. You know, it's important that we know our word so that we don't get manipulated by this world and get and take advantage of. Then when we don't live according to the word of God, you know, that people make evil accusations about us and Jesus. You know, that if we live the same way the world is, why would they want Jesus? You know, so it's so important that we, you know, look different, act different, behave different, speak different, you know, that it makes people question, you know, what we believe in a good way. That when we don't act out in anger when something goes wrong and we don't, you know, chase the girls or chase the guys, you know, that they start to say, what's, what's different about this person? You know, as we handle situations through prayer, you know, they ask us things and and we, we turn to the word of God for our solutions that they, really begin to question in a good way that there's something different about who we are. You know, I have a lot of friends who aren't saved. But it's always interesting how they may hate Jesus and don't want anything to do with that, what I have going on in my life today. But every time they go through a crisis, all of a sudden here comes a text. Here comes a message. Would you pray for me? Absolutely, I'll pray for you. You know, and... It's because that we're living a different life that when the world goes through things and they're looking for answers that they turn to us because, you know, that we state that we believe in God in a way that changed our life. You know, the Christian message isn't compelling to everybody or anybody if we're living the same way as everybody around us. You know, <clears throat> through the years, you know, as I've gotten saved, I've had a, a lot of friends make some pretty bad statements about me, you know, in, in anger, you know, that they were frustrated with the fact that I'm now sober and saved and they are still partying and don't believe what I believe, you know. But it's interesting that we don't always know what's going on. You know, a few years ago, you know, I ended up going to see a band in, in my hometown of Binghamton, and uh, a buddy of mine was also going to go to that show because um, some friends of ours were actually playing at that show. Now, this isn't a Christian event, you know, but I end up running into a friend of mine, and he thanks me for my Facebook posts because I'm always talking about Jesus. And he ended up meeting a Christian girl, and she's taking him to church, and he's now been saved. You know, and it gives people hope. You know, that when they see somebody that used to live a certain way and now they're living a different way. You know, and then there's another buddy of mine who 
in my unsaved days, I ended up sleeping with his ex-baby mama. And uh, there was a period of time where he hated my guts, you know, because it goes against the bro code, right? And um, he's completely right. I should have never, you know, messed around with his ex, you know, but being drunken and not having any character, you know, I ended up sleeping with somebody I shouldn't have slept with. You know, and there for a long time, he was pretty, pretty mad at me, you know. And just a short while ago, he reached out to me, you know, through Messenger on Facebook and said, hey, man, will you pray for me? And I said, yeah, no problem. What's going on? And he started telling me the things that are going on in his life and how he's been going to church and, and how he's been, you know, turned his life to Jesus and how he forgave me and all this. You know, and it was like all this stuff that's going on that I don't know about, but yet somehow I've still been an influence. You know, and now anytime that he goes through things, you know, he reaches out to me. You know, and he was going through a divorce and he was going through some some other things that were going on with his, his ex, a different ex. You know, and, uh, you know, he was turning to me because out of our group of friends that nobody understands, you know, turning their lives over to Jesus. You know, so it's important that we, you know, proclaim truth, but that also live accordingly. Now, none of us will ever be perfect, and I'm certainly not perfect. But, you know, I live such a contradicting life to the way that I used to live that, you know, anybody that used to know me knows that I'm a completely different man. You know, so Paul is, is painting this picture, you know, of what the Cretan, you know, used to hold to and what they would be like. And that if they would surrender to Jesus, that there would be a completely different man or woman that lived in that area and lived, you know, one day they used to live according to culture and now they're living a completely different way from the culture because the culture is screaming at us. You know, today with social media and, and, and the TV and, and every which way, you know, the, the culture is telling us how to live, you know, and it completely contradicts, you know, a life, you know, surrendered to Jesus, you know, that, you know, we, we have a lot of Christians who believe in God, but they don't know how to follow God because they don't know His Word. You know, and, you know, I was taught that it's important to know His Word because then we know who Jesus really is. You know, that so often, you know, we hear TV preachers and we, you know, are run by our emotions. But, you know, I have found out that my emotions don't match the Word of God very closely. You know, and what I've been taught through, you know, recovery is that my feelings aren't facts. You know, and I've had lots of people that try to disagree with me and have to, you know, that, that, that truth, that principle gets planted. You know, they try to disprove it. But over and over and over again, they start to realize that if I'm led by my emotions, I end up in places I shouldn't be. And when I live by truth, I find myself doing the opposite of what I would normally want and end up in places I should be, but yet maybe didn't agree with it at the moment, but somehow truth prevails time and time again. Um, this is where I'll segue into one of my little pet peeves is that, you know, people always throw around that the truth will set you free, but that's not necessarily true. You know, and what I've learned through the years is that, there's more vitamin C in a strawberry than there is an orange. That truth set us free on any level. You know, the first bomb dropped in World War II killed the only elephant in the Berlin Zoo. That truth doesn't set us free either. See, what Scripture actually says, what Jesus actually says, is that when you live by my teachings, then you will know the truth, and then you will be my disciple. And the truth will set you free. See, the truth in itself doesn't really set us free. It's the application of said truth that shows that we belong to Jesus. And we find that truth in the Word of God. So, uh, you know, I personally find that it's extremely important that I'm in my words. And then if you're around me enough, you're going to hear me talk to you and really encourage you, compel you, and prompt you, and push you into your own word. Because it's the Word of God that we really truly get to know Jesus for who He really is. You know, and then when people are speaking, as these corrupt leaders were speaking, 
that we would know that they're speaking error and that we can rectify our situation by not being led by people that don't know God's word and don't know Jesus, but yet may mask themselves as Christians. You know, and in this day with Christian TV, it's very important that we need to know our word because there's men and women of God that are proclaiming that they belong to Jesus, but their message is anything but, in my opinion. So, you know, as we get to know our word, I've also found that, you know, I don't need, you know, a pastor to follow around, follow me around and tell me all the things that I'm doing wrong. That one, I have a relationship with Jesus and he convicts me in my heart before I begin to do things. But yet, I also find that as I'm in my word, it begins to pierce me like a sword. You know, and it shows me areas that continue to need to change, even though I'm in love with Jesus and my life is following him to the best of my ability. But yet the Bible begins to show me that there's still areas in my life that don't line up to who, you know, Christ is calling me to be. You know, and if I'm left up to my emotions, then I'm good. Me and Jesus are great, you know. And I found that I can be great with Jesus and still not live according to the word of God, you know, and that's our standard, you know, and I believe that, you know, as Paul is sending Titus in, he's trying to bring these churches back to scripture, you know, and at that time, the New Testament really hadn't been written. You know, this letter from Paul to Titus is obviously in the New Testament. It's in our Bible, but the only scriptures they really had at that time were all Old Testament, Old Testament scrolls, Old Testament teachings. And yet all of those point to Jesus and all of those help us to see that Jesus is the Messiah and all of those see the power of God that comes through the spirit. You know, so Paul is, is pointing people back to scripture, pointing people in correction, pointing people to, to follow Jesus to the best of their ability. You know, Paul goes on to state that the gospel needs to be proven, you know, through the redemptive power in the public eye. You know, it really goes to transform the Cretan culture if people are in the midst of everything that's going on. You know, that they're in the public eye. That it transforms us from the inside out and it begins to transform our culture. That so often, you know, we create these Christian-gated communities is what I call them. You know, is that, oh, I can't be around them, they're sinners. You know, but how are the sinners going to get some Jesus if I don't take my light into their darkness? See, Paul is seeing a very corrupt island that's full of sinners, notorious sinners. And he's like, that's the perfect place to plant a church. You know, so often as Christians, we gravitate to other Christians, which is good that we need to be with like-minded people. But yet, as we live in this culture, as we live in our jobs, as we live in our families, as we live with around our friends, that they shouldn't be able to influence us, that we should be influencing them. You know, and that we are in this world, but we're not of it. You know, that it's important for us to realize that each one of us has a ministry. That we don't just go to church. That your job is your ministry, your family is your ministry, your neighborhood is your ministry. Where you walk on a regular basis, that's your ministry. The gym might be your ministry. You know, that you are to be a light in that darkness. Now, are you to stand up on stuff and proclaim turn or burn and try to get people get saved? No, I don't believe so. I believe that when you're in these environments, you live a different way. And you may get attacked because of that. And that's good. You know, because it it shows that you're actually doing something different than everyone else. You may be accused of things. You may be ridiculed. You may be mocked. You may be spoken poorly about. That that people may spread rumors about you. This is all good stuff because it means you're going in the opposite way they are. But however, when darkness is looking for light, who do they turn to? They turn to the brightest one. And we're to be representing and, and reflecting Jesus to the best of our abilities, you know, And yet we are not perfect. So this also means that we humble ourselves and we can say that I don't have all the answers. 
and we humble ourselves when we make a mistake and we repent to people and we show them that we don't have all the answers and I'm not perfect, but yet Jesus is still good. So often we don't want to humble ourselves or we try to have all the answers. So when somebody disputes us in our faith that we get angry and attack them, that we use our Bible as a bat rather than a mirror, that you know, as we read our Bible, we should see Jesus in there and it should reflect as we look in there, we see that we don't match up to who Jesus really is. And that's why we should change. But yet it's the love and the grace that Jesus gives us that we should be giving all of them. You know, so it's so important that we are being in our culture, but yet we're not letting our culture influence us in our decisions. Now, this is extremely difficult at times. You know, I don't believe that I should go run around to all the bars and try to find all the spots in Corn Hill and try to, you know, compel the people that are in those places to turn their lives over to Jesus. Now, maybe if the Holy Spirit says, hey, Tom, I need you to go here and I need you to look for this person, then that's a different story because that's God sending me. However, I do believe in the the principle of people, places, and things that I should have a, a, a safe distance from some places, but yet... I don't need to travel in the places I used to. God will send me into new places with new people that are struggling from the same things that I've been delivered from. You know, but yet having a humility about me that realizes that, you know, I need to be wise in my decision making and not go into places that might be too much for me to be tempted. You know, and being accountable and letting people know if I do go into a place that's maybe possibly, you know, too tempting that people know that I'm going there. And just that phone call or that text and saying, I'm going here, and they already know what I'm about to do. And, you know, it helps me to know that people know where I am. You know, that today I I don't really go anywhere that I shouldn't be without somebody with me. You know, if I know that I'm going to a questionable place, I always bring one of the guys with me. You know, if I'm going to watch a band in, in a place that I used to frequent, I always have people with me. I don't really ever go alone. You know. And if I'm ever around, you know, in a tempting place, I just have someone with me and then the temptation is lifted. You know, it doesn't mean that, you know, I can't do things on my own, but I'm also trying to be as wise as possible. You know, Billy Graham used to go nowhere without one of his guys. That he would send a man into the hotel room to check out to make sure that somebody that's trying to you know, bring him down or, or put a stain on his name that put some sort of prostitute or some girl in his room and, you know, that they would take pictures of him, that he was always putting himself in a, a position of above reproach. You know, and I don't think that I need to do that, but I'm also not Billy Graham. You know what I mean? And I think that we need to be wise. You know, be, you know, gentle as a dove, but wise as a serpent. You know, and... I think that it's important that we're influencing our community and influencing our old friends. But I'm not going to find them on a Friday night to try to get them to to find Jesus. You know, because most likely they don't want anything to do with Jesus, just like any other day. But Friday nights are usually a big party day. You know, but you know what? Monday morning when they don't have any money and they're bumming cigarettes, they might be looking at my Facebook posts and they might be like, you know what? Things might be time to change. You know, we never know how our lives might be influencing people. We may be the only Bible that people read. You know, and it's important that we we try to live our lives according to the Word of God to the best of our abilities. You know, realizing that we will fall short. You know, that we are never going to be perfect. You know, the, the Christian message should be compelling to people that aren't Christians. You know, and, and as Christians, we should fully par- participate in the public life. That so often we push people away or we can't go places, I can't live in certain neighborhoods, I can't do this, I can't do that, because there's sinners there. But that might be exactly where God is trying to put us so that we can be a witness to those around us. You know, that our lives should look similar to the teachings of Jesus. You know, and upon closer look, that those who don't believe should see Jesus in us on some level. You know, that we live by a value system that is completely different than the culture around us. That our devotion 
is completely, totally devoted to God. You know, that <clears throat> Paul is stating that our value system is the driving force of the Christian way. That we believe in God's generous grace, which is showed upon us through the person of Jesus Christ. And this grace demonstrates when Jesus gave up his own honor to die a shameful death on the cross on behalf of his enemies so that he could rescue and redeem them. You know, and it's so important that this grace calls God's people to say no to corrupt ways of life. That we cannot do it in our own strength. You know, if we have ever really tried to resist temptation on our own, we fall short, don't we? You know, I think personally the, the, the easiest one to point out is, you know, have we ever gone on a diet? Many of us aren't real successful with those things. You know, if we've ever tried to resist temptation in our own strength, that, you know, I've resisted drugs and alcohol for a year, but ended up falling back into it. Why? Because there was no spiritual transformation. There was only behavioral modification. And when crunch time happened, when the trials came, when the, the, the perfect storm came, the enemy, you know, attacked Jesus until he gave up on Jesus, but he said he waited for the opportune time. You know, each one of us has an opportune time that's coming. And it's our ability to get closer to Jesus through the Word of God and through our relationship, you know, with Him through prayer and worship and through the relationship with our, our Christian brothers and sisters that when that opportune time comes, when that storm comes, because it's coming, that we will never live a life that's just completely, you know, rainbows and lollipops. It's just not reality. But so often we think that because I'm a Christian, I'm never going to have any difficulties. And that's just a lie. You know, and if people are trying to feed us that as our Christianity, that we're letting everyone down for to fail. You know, that we are going to go through difficult things. And what do we do in those difficult things? Do I handle them like I used to? Do I run back to drugs and alcohol? Do I run back to sex? Do I run back to immorality? Do I run back to the world? Or do I press in? Do I turn to Jesus? Do I cry out to Jesus? And I'm like, I don't understand why I'm going through things. You know, every one of us is going to have trials and we're not going to know why we're going through it. I've been behaving, Jesus. I've been reading my Bible. I go to church. Don't we make the list of all the good things that we've been doing and we don't understand why we're going through something difficult? Or are we the only one? Or I'm the only one. I'm sorry. I'm the only one that does stuff like that. But my first response when I go through something difficult is to remind God how good I've been. But in all reality, I'm still a wretch, aren't I? I'm saved by His grace, and His righteousness is given to me. He takes upon my sin nature. But there's still this balance that I still have the ability to do some wretched things and still say I believe in Jesus, and I've been in my Word, and I've been praying, and I've been at perfect church attendance this month. I paid my tithe, Jesus. Why am I going through this? But yet, reality is, is that we all are going to go through trials and tribulations. What do we do in those moments? Do we press into Jesus more? Or do we get mad at God because I'm going through something? You know, I believe that as we press into Jesus, as we go through things, the world, our family, our coworkers are paying close attention to how we handle those types of situations. Because they want to see if we really believe what we say we believe. Because I know for me that even in my years when I said that I was an atheist, I wanted something to be real. And when, you know, I was going to meetings and they kept telling me I needed a higher power, you know, I came to this place in my life where I knew that there was areas in my own life that I couldn't change about myself. You know, I hated the fact that I was angry all the time and I felt ashamed for all the things I'd done and all the things that had been done to me. And I knew that no matter how hard I tried to change those two areas, that I had no ability to change them. And that's what helped me to take my first step towards any sort of higher power. And I, I said my first prayer, take my anger and help me to forgive myself. 
but being so arrogant, I didn't say God. I certainly didn't say Jesus in those days. And nothing happened. As many of us have prayed, and nothing's happened. That we don't get to rubber Bible three times and make wishes. That's not how this stuff works. That we pray according to His will, and we ask for the power to carry that out, don't we? Now, that doesn't mean that I can't ask for Him to, to move in my life in areas that I desire or areas that I may have a need. But yet, when things get answered, it's God's will. If things don't get answered, that's God's will. You know, and I have to humble myself and realize that I am not God. You know, but what this world doesn't realize is that we have a relationship with a living God that's alive. You know, and how we respond when we go through trials shows them that there's something different about the way we believe than every other belief system. Is that we have someone that comes closer than a brother. We have someone that is there for us. We have someone who's speaking to us. We have someone that pours out his presence and gives us these spiritual hugs. You know, and the, the tingly start to happen. You know, that we come before him and we start worshiping and we start praising and tears start begin to flow. Why? Because I'm sad? No, because his presence is moving. Now, we've all cried because we're sad. But most of us have been crying for no apparent reason other than Jesus is moving. You know, and people don't understand that. People do not understand that we believe in what we believe. But they want to, to believe that something is real. The leading cause of atheism is Christians. The leading cause of conversions into Christianity is also the Holy Spirit moving through Christians. Now, I've heard radical stories where God shows up and there hasn't been a personal involvement of a person, but normally it's a Christian stepping out out of their comfort zone and asking somebody if they want to come to church or asking somebody if they want to talk about Jesus. And I know many, many years ago, if this tiny little girl who was in her 20s didn't say, hey, do you want to come to church with me? I don't know where I would be. I would probably be dead. You know, and I'm so grateful for her that she stepped out of her comfort zone and said, hey, you want to come to church with me? And in a broken place in my life, I said, you know what, it can't hurt me. And we, had, we do not know what people around us are going through. But as we are praying and we're discerning of the Spirit, you know, all of a sudden God starts to illuminate people, right? All of a sudden we start to see somebody. All of a sudden somebody's crossing our path on a regular basis, right? You know, and do we run up to him? Turn or burn! You're going to hell! Personally, I don't think that's a message I would ever receive. But someone meets me with kindness and, and asks me if I want to go to church or asks me if I want to get a cup of coffee because they can see that I'm overwhelmed. You never know what the Holy Spirit might do in that moment. You know, God has called me to be a seed planter. I plant as many seeds as I possibly can every day. You know, I'm coming across people's lives. I, I try to plant seeds. Whether I'm doing it in my actions or I'm doing it with my words, I'm trying to plant seeds. And when given the opportunity, I try to water those seeds. And a lot of times I'm watering someone else's seeds. Someone else has planted seeds in your guys' life before you ever got here. And here tonight, I'm trying to water some of those seeds and maybe plant some more. I don't know. But what I do know is that it's not up to me if any of us grow, including me. He is the one that brings increase. But I also believe that as we tend to the ground, that we pull out things that need to get out of the way so that the seeds of Christianity can begin to grow and that we press into our word and we press into prayer and we worship in times of crisis, that that living water begins to flow in our lives and, and seeds that have been dormant for years all of a sudden begin to sprout. And we never know, you know, that seeds that have been planted through the years but one thing that I do know is that God's word does not come back void. And you don't know the seeds that you might be planting in your family, in your coworkers, in your friends, in your neighborhood. You know, and as you, you try to plant seeds to the best of your ability, and not trying to drown somebody with the water or beat somebody up with their Bible, you know, that you'll be surprised how things begin to change in their lives, that they may turn to you in a time of brokenness. You know, Paul states that the power of this is in the three-in-one God announced in the Gospels. 
Paul also explores the, the kindness and love that, it, that saved us in spite of ourselves. Because through the power of the Holy Spirit, God washed us. He rebirthed us. He renewed us. And through Jesus providing a way for his people, declared righteous through what he had done for us, before the Father, which opens the door to eternal life, that the power of the gospel can create a new kind of people. Paul is convinced that the Spirit-empowered faithfulness to the teachings of Jesus, that we will declare God's grace in an unbelieving world. You know, that I'm a big, you-need-to-read-your-Bible guy. That I think that it's the time that I've spent in my Bible that he's changed me. You know, that I don't like to read. It's not one of my favorite things. Some of you pick up a book and, you know, within hours you're halfway through it. That's amazing. I'm not that person. You know, when I was first prompted to read my Bible, my first response is like, did they make a movie? That thing is kind of thick. But eventually I started to respond and I started to read through John and, and made absolutely no sense. No sense whatsoever. You know, but I was prompted to read a page a day. A page a day. And I'm like, all right, I can read a page a day. And I would sit there smoking cigarettes, drinking my coffee in the morning, and I'd read a page a day, and I'm like, done. Page done. Boom. Close the book. But eventually, I started reading a page a day, and then I got to the end of the page, but the thought wasn't over. And I'm like, well, I'll read to the next paragraph. And then I'm reading, and I'm like, well, I could read to the end of the chapter. That's the, oh, it's right there. It's like another page. No big deal. And before I knew it, Jesus jumped off the page. You know, I was reading in John, and it was 317 through 19. You know, and it says that a man who wants to continue to sin runs to darkness. And it flashed me to a time when I was coming out of a, a crack house on Kemble Street in the middle of August, and it's like 90-some degrees outside, and all I want to do is run back inside into the darkness. But I need to know that I need to hit the streets to make some money so I can do that. So I can hide in the darkness in my sin. But it also says that a man that wants righteousness will come into the light on their own. And it flat, I'm like, what is going on with this book? And I like step back from it and I'm like, okay, that was freaky. You know, what I've come to know is that's a rhema word. God speaks to us through the Bible in a way that we will not hear or see. We will not have encounters any other way. You know, and I began to continue to read through the Bible. You know, and my next encounter was when I got to John 20. I was frustrated. You know, I was going to church. I was reading my Bible a page a day or a chapter a day, and now I'm in chapter 20. So I've been coming to church and doing this for a minute now. So I certainly wasn't reading very fast and frustrated. You know, I want to believe, but I don't know, and I'm struggling, and I'm, you know, I, I've done my little sinner's prayer, but I'm not really having faith in this whole Jesus stuff. And I put my Bible down on the coffee table, and I said, if you're real, move something in this room. And I started looking around, looking for any little thing to move. You know, paper to fall, knick-knack to tip over, something to happen. Nothing happened. Thank God, because that, probably, that would have definitely not been Jesus. But anyway, <clears throat> I picked my Bible up, and it's the, the parable of Thomas the twin. Doubting Thomas. Now, for those of you that may not know, my name is Tom. So I'm a Thomas. But some of you definitely don't know this, is that I'm a Gemini, so I'm a twin. Now in that day, I believed in the horoscopes. I read them all the time. So that hit me hard. And as I began to read through that story, it talked about that they were proclaiming that Jesus had been resurrected. And everyone else was like, whoa, 
And you, Thomas the twins, like, I ain't believing that last idea. <laughs> Almost word for word, what I just said, I just read. Yeah. And there is no other way <laughs> except prompting of the Holy Spirit that that could take place. You know, and then shortly after that, Jesus kind of walks to the wall, like, ooh, you know, it's like. Like, hey, Thomas, come check me out. And he says, Thomas had stated that I want to touch the wounds in his hand and touch the wound in his side. And Jesus is like, here, come check it out. And at that point, Thomas says, you know, Jesus says to Thomas, blessed are those who believe without seeing. The world will believe once they see. But we take scripture into account and we believe in eternal life, not because we've ever seen it. But because we also didn't ever see the resurrection of Jesus. But we believe it because the text says so. And it's because of the text is that our faith is grown. Now we can have experiences and the Holy Spirit can move and we get the tinglies and he shows up and we're crying and it's overwhelming. But the, the foundation of our faith is in the text. You know, and as we read, we never know Sometimes why? We never know why that we go through certain things. About seven or eight years ago, the day after my birthday, I got a phone call. My uncle had passed away. Now he was an alcoholic just like I was. And I only been saved a minute, technically. Now, he was an avid fisherman. Been on the water his whole entire life. And he drowned in inches of water because he was drunk and he was in the mountains of California and he came off the mountain and he drove into a ravine and he flipped his truck. And being probably unconscious, he, he ended up drowning. And that day, And so I'm getting this phone call. I hear Titus 3.5. I don't know what that is. I have no idea what that is. I'm not good at memorizing. I burned a lot of brain cells. But through the prompting, because I've read it before, Jesus is pulling out the filing cabinet of the Word of God in my life. And I go and look at what that scripture says. Is that we're not we're saved by His mercies, not our righteousness. And so often we think that we're better because we're now righteous in Christ, and we don't sin like sinners. But if it wasn't for His mercy, none of us would ever have been saved. And I, I told my mom and my grandmother what the Lord had told me. It gave us peace in that moment. You know, and I believe that he was saved, even though he grew up in the church and he didn't want anything to do it in his adult life. After my grandfather had died, he started to come home for the holidays because I think he felt guilty because he was away so much. And from Thanksgiving to New Year's, he would come home because he was on unemployment. You know, he would stay with my grandmother even though he wouldn't hang out with my grandmother much. He would go and party with his friends. You know, he'd go party with his high school buddies. So when any time that we would be around him, he would be sober, but he would be absolutely miserable. And any time that we were around him when he was drunk, he was the life of the party. He was the funniest man I've ever met. He'd make you laugh so hard, like it was just gut wrenching. He could make you laugh. He could take over a room, but he needed to be drunk to do it. At his funeral, there's people that came out here from Wyoming and California because they were friends of his. And after his funeral, everyone's kind of standing around and, and telling some stories. And the stories that his friends would tell us 
about the character of who he was showed each and every one of us that he knew Jesus. He wouldn't let any of his friends lie or steal. Anytime that they would lie or steal, he would make them go confess it. That he was the trusted one of the bunch. That anytime that someone needed money, they would come to him. Anytime that, that they needed to borrow something, they would come to him. That he was always the one that they turned to to give them advice. And as we heard the story, we could see that there was Jesus in him. Now thank God that we're not in charge of anyone's salvation. Because I don't know about you, but I've sent a few people to hell myself. Through the years, God's poured out His grace on me and showed me that giving people grace and loving people is way better than being critical and judgmental. A few years ago, my buddy Ryan went back to his addiction. You know, and in that addiction, he ended up passing away. You know, my 10-year anniversary of being sober, I was doing his funeral. But over and over again, as I've gone through this, this crazy thing called life, I know that I had conversations with Ryan, and I knew he believed. We found his notebook, and he was journaling and talking to Jesus in the midst of his hopelessness. We do not know the seeds that we may plant in someone's life, that when this life may pass, that we will see them in the next. It's so important that we represent Jesus to the best of our abilities. We will fall short, and we should own that too. It's so important for us to be light in this dark, dark world. That we never know how the God of this universe in his divine knowledge will cross our path with someone else at just a key moment. And that something we say or a prayer that we pray changes that person forever. I'm the proof of that. If that girl didn't cross my path that day, where would I be? I have no idea. I used to live by what was now the, the Stewarts over there on the corner of court and state. And one day I was sitting out front of my house and I was ministering to a young man. And uh, we were chatting and hanging out and he was driving me absolutely insane. But that's a whole other story. He ended up seeing someone that he knew. He called him over. He's like, hey, you got to talk to this guy. You know, and being the way that I look, she didn't know what was coming. And in the middle of the parking lot, I shared my testimony and I ended up praying for this girl. And she accepted the Lord. And ever since, she's been following him. You know, and she used to come to our congregation for many years and then she moved. And recently she lost her son. You know, and she reached out to me and thanked me for showing her Jesus. She's thanking me in the midst of her crisis. All I can do is pray. All we can do is pray. It's not up to what other people may do. But it is up to us to tell the truth when when prompted. It's up to us to live according to what Jesus is calling us to live. It's up to us to pray for people. so important that we never know when things may change for someone. Each one of us has a ministry and it's the people around us. First and foremost, I believe that it's our family and then we, we serve the local church 
And then from there, our, our, our businesses, our, our, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, you know, everybody, everybody is to get lit, lit up by our, our light. And that's the way I live today. Now, there's days that I've represented Jesus poorly because I've let my emotions take control. But I try to light up people's darkness to the best of my ability. And if you come across my path, I believe that God sent you. It's just the way I believe today. Well, how come you believe that? There's no other reason that you're in my path other than Jesus wants you to know about who he is. That's the way I believe today. I don't believe in coincidences. I don't believe in random, you know, things happening. I believe in the sovereignty of God, that he's always orchestrating and moving and, and moving us around, putting us in connection. Each and every one of us has some of these stories. I know we do. Why? Because I believe that God works this way. We also need to get our eyes back on him to the best of our ability and say, Jesus, use me. And help me not to be weird. (laughs) However, when supernatural hits natural, it's going to be strange. The foundation of our faith is something that's pretty peculiar. A man gets out of the, the tomb. However, I believe that we can do this practically and we can get all crazy in private. You just bow your heads with me. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for all that you're doing. Lord, I pray that you light up our darkness, Lord. If there's still things lingering, that you would meet us where we're at, that we could bring those things into light, that we could lay those things at your feet, that we could nail those things to the cross, Lord, that you can set us free in a moment. I know you can. I've seen it. I've watched it. You've done it in my own life. So, Lord, if there's anyone here tonight that's struggling in an area, Lord, that keeps them in chains, keeps them in bondage, Lord, I pray that they would pray quietly in their seat and just repent and ask you to move. And, Lord, I pray that you would turn that fire on the inside of us into an inferno, Lord, that you are the all-consuming God. Lord, I pray that you would consume every area of who we are, that we would burn bright in this dark, dark world that you would use us to light up other people's darkness. You'd use us to be a blessing. You'd use us as a demonstration of your grace and your mercy. You'd use us as a living word, Lord, that people be reading their word through us. Lord, we thank you so much for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.